Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to what I believe is the fourth chapter of Broken Oars Indoors, where we're having a little bit of a look at the indoor rowing, the sport, the community. And in this case, a particular exponent of the art who we are going to describe as a man of many records. It can only be Rod Chin, who could also be described as, as the man, the myth, the legend. As you said, Rod is a bit of a legend. He has spent about half a decade now systematically ticking off one record after another in his age group category, which was 60 to 64. And he's, and he's done this, again, it's in a very systematic, very scientific fashion. And he's put training principles into place, which essentially apply to any rower, I think. Now we can talk about the skill differential between the indoor and the outdoor, but you know, Rod is, Rod is a man of technique and he believes in, you know, I imagine if you looked at him on the indoor row and then you looked at a water row on the indoor row, they would look very, very similar. I do think we're going to try and do our bit to bring the two worlds, which I don't think cross-pollinate enough, of indoor rowing and water rowing together. He's a man who believes in progressive uh, training, but also specific training for where you are as an athlete and what you wish to accomplish. And beyond that, which is, a, you know, he has a, a depth of knowledge and a depth of experience it's quite a fascinating journey from his his early days as as a, a, a essentially a fast lad on the track up against the likes of Daley Thompson who makes an appearance his time as a as a rugby player uh, Steve Ovet uh, drops by and this kind of competitive nature and restless nature that saw him discover the the rower slightly later in life and really find something that resonated with him himself and his wife who's in her own right a fantastic indoor rower and I just think there's so much there to uh, to pull out and dig into. It's a it's a genuinely classic Broken Oars Friday podcast. It is. And if, before we let Rod take it away, I am going to say one thing that Rod shows some you know this fundamental similarity between the indoor community and the water community, which is. A, scent, a deeply held desire to compete. And you'll see this in you know, nearly every story he tells, I think. Again, let's, let's just remember we have those things in common. Yeah, as, as two communities. You know, we used to say about Britain and America, it's two countries separated by a common language. And, and in terms of indoor rowers and, and water rowers, we both sit on the same concept too. So, you know, let's get together, guys and girls. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the next chapter of Broken Oars Indoor. We have something of a indoor rowing celebrity, certainly in the United Kingdom, and I believe, as he will tell us worldwide, we have Mr. Rod Chin, man of many, many records. Tell us a bit more about yourself. Where are you from? I'm, I'm going to be rude enough to ask your actual age because I, I think it's quite a critical part of the story. How you got into the whole business of indoor rowing? Oh, well, there's a pretty broad canvas you've given me there, Lewin. So first of all, uh, thank you very much for inviting me onto your podcast. And uh, it's an honour to be here. To answer your first question, I will be 64 next month. So... 
uh, on the 19th of September, that's when I turned 64. So I expect I'll be playing the old Beatles song quite a bit. So will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? The answer being uh, yes, hopefully. Will you be singing it to your concept too? Will you still need me concept too? Will you still let me sit on you and pull exceptionally hard? I don't think I'll have the breath to, to, to do it, but um, I'll certainly be playing it on the sound system as, as I'm rowing. But uh, yes, I, I will need the concept too to answer the question because of every intention of continuing. I don't, I don't really see 64 as being any kind of barrier to my ambitions uh, in the sport. It's just another a milestone and just another place that it puts me in the age group. So that's really what it is to me. You know, what, what, what's, your, what's your geographical background? Well, ge geographically, I mean, I appreciate this is, a, this is going, to go, going out on worldwide forums. So um, I'm based in Southeast England. I'm English I've, um, or British. And um, I'm based in the Southeast of England in the County of Sussex. I live in a little village just north of Brighton. It's uh, most of my neighbours are cows and sheep. There are a few other human beings dotted around, but it's a very quiet little village. So I live in rural East Sussex, uh, but I do actually come from the town of Crawley, which is where Gatwick Airport is for those that know the geography of England and worldwide. It's uh, just to the west, uh, southwest of London. Uh, I went to the same school as Gareth Southgate, who is well known now as the football England football manager. And his dad's uh, quite a good friend of mine because yeah, I knew Gareth as a young runner at Crawley Athletic Club because I my background is athletics and his dad was and still is a javelin coach down there. So that's uh, one little claim to fame, I suppose, by association. How did I get into indoor rowing? My uh, When I lived in Crawley, I grew up. My main sports were athletics as a sprinter, 400 metre runner and rugby. I played for the local rugby club, played for the, some of the representative teams within the county and uh, later went on to become president of the local rugby club. So I did athletics in the summer, rugby in the winter. And then when I turned 40, I was getting a bit old for both, took up long distance running and ended up running marathons, um, half marathons and Still, I'm a member of the local running club over here in the um, eastern part of the county where I do 5Ks, hopefully get fit enough to get up to half marathon. But I've really given the running a bit of a break over the last three years to concentrate on the rowing. And, so and that's, that's, brought, that's brought me to, um, to, to where we are today. And what got you into the rowing? Oh, what, yeah. What so, to the... answer that one, when my wife and I moved from... Crawley to East Sussex, we joined a gym that was not far from our house because I've always done weight training, uh, which is a, a whole different story in itself. And so is my wife. So we decided that because the gym was near home, we would uh, do more of our training together. And would you believe the gym had two concept two model C rowing machines next to each other away and hidden in the corner. And my wife and Carol, my wife Carol, she said, "Oh, I used to do a bit of this at the old gym, which is where she went that I wasn't going to." I said, "Oh, well, let's have a go. Then we'll have a let's have a race." I can't remember what we did. We raced something like five hundred meters or a thousand or whatever it was. I didn't know how to set it up. I was a little bit wary of my back because I'd hurt it playing rugby years ago. But we had a little go, and she beat me, which infuriated me. I wasn't having any of this, 
And so <laughs> the next time we went down, we tried it again, by which time we'd both looked up a little bit of online information about indoor rowing and we found the old Concept 2 UK forum and we did a bit of training and really enjoyed the feeling of the C2, just the, the absolute delight of feeling the handle coming into you and the growing fatigue as you increase the effort level. And I think all rowers will probably know that feeling where it just feels good. It's just, it's just an activity that becomes almost Moorish. It becomes, if you like, mesmeric, uh, soporific even, um, although I, I will admit I have never actually fallen asleep on a rowing machine, but it, you get the, you get the feeling. And it grew from there as the information uh, came in through the old Concept2 forum, looked around. We, we had heard that there was a British Indoor Rowing Championships, so Carol and I entered in, uh, I think it was December of 2007, just to put a, a date on when this was, this was back in 2007. So towards the end of 2007, my wife and I, Carol, we went up to the National Indoor Arena in Birmingham and we both did our respective categories, 2000 meter races. I was in the 45 to 40, I was right at the back end, the, the, the old end of the 45 to 49s, uh, heavyweights as I was back in those days, although uh, as I later found out, I wasn't that much over the weight limit, but I didn't know anything about them then. And Carol was in the 45 to 49 lightweights because she's um, always been naturally a fairly light, you know, lightweight with regards to what the category limits are for rowing. I finished next to last. I was appalling. As I finished, as I stumbled over the line, I looked up at the screen to see where I'd finished looked at my name as I took a while to go down to the bottom of the list, looked at the times of the guys that were at the front, and I thought, this isn't for me. I'm, used to, I'm not used to finishing this far back in any kind of a race. I, <laughs> what, what the hell am I doing here? It was, it was a, and I, I had Erger's cough and um, was, was really in quite a bad way. Went and sat down with Carol. She prepared for her race as I was slowly recovering and watching her race from the front row. I could see from the screen that she was actually doing rather well. And she was up in, it was quite close with the first three. And I thought, my goodness gracious me, what's she doing up there? And um, would you believe it? She won. She won it with a, a final flurry. So there was me completely at the back of my category in the British Championships. And there was my wife standing in the middle of the podium with a certificate and a T-shirt and a gold medal, British champion, Carol Woodward. Because um, for those that uh, are familiar with the names in, in the rowing community, uh, Carol and I, although we have been married for 32 years next month, uh, next month, I want to talk about next week, uh, we don't share the surname. So she's Carol Woodward and I'm Rod Chin, but we are married. Um, yeah, she was the champion, so I'm immensely proud of her. I mean, I have to say all my feelings were of great pride and joy for her. There was no, there was no feeling of, oh, why her, not me? But it did inspire me to knuckle down to training. It did inspire me to find out more about how things should be done. And I did progress from there and um, started to do better times. And that's led me to, uh, to where I am now as a lightweight, because I did find that few years later that uh, if I modified my, my eating and drinking a little bit, 
mostly the eating, not so much the drinking, but um, then I could uh, quite naturally fall into the sub 75 kilo category. And I've been there ever since. Can I leap straight in? Please do. Because I was, I was struck when you began your, you began your trajectory to this point. You spotted two concept twos in a corner and rather than think, oh, let's just have a go, let's have a paddle, your instant reaction was, let's have a race. Are we looking at a fairly competitive person here? Oh, yes. Um, yes. I, I mean, if, if that's the evidence that uh, gives away my competitive background, um, a little bit more about my athletics. I was, as I later, I didn't realise it at the time, but I was Britain's top junior 400, well, I say junior, I was Britain's top 12-year-old at 400 metres. So I'd won the county championships. I was running against uh, older guys and I was a member of the local athletic club. So I had actually been fortunate enough to have some success. And my mentality very much was what sort of track times am I doing? What sort of race performances am I putting up? Uh, I did go on to be the county champion. And I was, I suppose, one little story on, on that is I was the, the fastest guy in the county for my age. Uh, until Daley Thompson came along <laughs> because he's the same age for me and he lived half an hour down the road, was in another little another town town called Haywards Heath. And I'd been in athletics a little longer than him because he came down from London and I was in a regional in a regional championship. I was a 400 metre runner. He was a 100 metre runner in those days, but no one had ever heard of him. And we saw this great big guy burn up the track in the 100 metres and we all, who on earth was that? And we later found out that this guy that we used to call Frank became what we all later knew as Francis Daly Thompson. That was, uh, and also further down the road was Steve Ovette. Steve Ovette was two years older than me. So my county championship 400 metre winning time two years after him uh, was somewhat slow in comparison. But it did give me a competitive nature and I've, I've been with athletics ever since. And also I played rugby. So the idea was to try and get the ball past those guys in uh, whatever way that you could. So, the, yeah, the idea of competing, any sport to me had always been about competing. You saw them and we're at the gym, let's have a race rather than, oh, well, let's just let's just have a go. And I, I think if you want to um, if you want to test yourself and challenge yourself, the Concept 2 is a wonderful machine to do it on because you can never beat it. The machine always wins, but it, you've got to keep going back for it. Yeah, it's a, it's a good way to test yourself. And um, we we were just interested in giving it a go. And uh, it was a Carol's suggestion that she'd done it before. So I said, oh, well, you can show me, but let's, the best way to show me, let's have a race, thinking that I'd be just taking it easy and cruising in front of my wife. But no, she beat me. <laughs> so <laughs> that was uh, that was the start. But yeah, the, the, the two machines hidden away in the corner became the most used things in the gym because we we were everything seemed to shift around very quickly to the fact that we would go down there to row i mean these days we've got our own gym at home and we've got our own we've got two brand new well brand new i mean they're brand new two years ago c2s um that we have in there we've got his and hers in our own gym so uh, but back in those days we used to go down to the local gym and we were rowing well as it became every, virtually every night of the week i didn't know any better i i just wanted to say, go back to this idea that you had the you find the rowing stroke itself, not on the water, just just the action of that kind of like repetitive, becoming a human piston kind of motion, kind of mesmeric and relaxing. 
even amongst water rowers. Now, I kind of agree with you. I, I got into water rowing through the indoor rowing. Do you, do you think it's just there's a different way of looking at things that means, oh, indoor rowing's great? Or is, it, is there something within you that said, yes, this is for me? Well, I, I think there's there's two, probably two answers to that. Um, in in my the first answer is that to tailor it to my own uh, attributes. Uh, when going, uh, having mentioned my athletics background, I was one of the I was one of those sprinters that could also do the throws. I used to do the shot um, and the discus. Uh, so I was I was a reasonable sort of I wouldn't say stock. Not that stockily built, but I was a I was a bullet type of, or I thought I was. Uh, I later found out I wasn't, but um, I thought I was a fairly bullish sort of 100, 200, 400 runner. And when I rode, I found that the action actually suited my combination of running endurance, but also field event strength because I'd, I'd grown up with sprinting and with weight training. And so I was also, I was, I was almost, almost could be classified as a sprinter thrower up until 40. And that's when I changed to long distance. Um, although I, I would have probably done better if I'd actually done 800 meters with my 400s rather than ones and twos, because I didn't quite realize that I had the endurance abilities that I later discovered on the rowing machine. Uh, but it certainly suited those two things that I had. One was endurance, one was strength and power. So the the, the piston-like action that you've you've described there suited me down to the ground. But having said that, uh, I think it's the kind of action that can suit and appeal to anybody, as long as you do it right. As long as you don't have the uh, the drag factor too high. And for those that are not aware of that, then what I'm saying is. Don't be one of those people that goes to a gym and puts the lever right up as high as it will go, because then that will make it less pleasant an experience for you. Um, but as long as the machine is set up properly, as long as you don't, as long as you're pushing from the right part of the foot, as long as someone's actually just perhaps run through a few little technique basics with you, it is actually a physically very enjoyable experience. You don't have to go flat out because that is not a physically <laughs> enjoyable experience. But if you row for something like half an hour at a, a fairly low level of intensity, it can actually feel like an absolute physical pleasure. Um, and much more so than running can be, because you have to be at a certain level of running to be able to enjoy that physical experience. And you also probably can't experience that pleasure if you are of a certain body type. Um, if you're tall and slim, fair enough. But if you're shorter and stockier, you can't enjoy the running quite so much, but you can enjoy the rowing. So the, the C2, it actually has an appeal for more people than probably any other sport, and certainly in my experience. So that, uh, I'm, that's probably a, a fairly long-winded way of answering your question, but uh, hopefully that sort of gives you my view on what people can enjoy from the C2. It's for anybody. That's actually probably the best defense of indoor rowing i've ever heard in my life i mean as and you know having tried to make similar defenses in in my life repeatedly oh why why do you enjoy this 
yeah, I'm just going to go with that. It's just, it's just for every, anyone, you're just that pleasure of physical motion. Yeah, well, it gives you all the joys of rowing and you don't fall in the water. <laughs> I've, I've got to leap in there. Until I found rowing, I, I, had, I had experimented with a lot of different physical pursuits and I'd gotten something from all of them. And it was, wasn't until I tried rowing that I really felt I'd found my sport. But one of the things that I, I tried was, was running. And I'm, I'm six foot two and I weigh, have always weighed about 13 stone 12, no matter what I eat or how much I, I diet. So I'm quite heavy for a runner. So I used to go down to the local Harrier group, which was Bladen Harriers. Um, and I do you know everything from track sessions up to half marathons. And I'd always wonder why these little whippy eight and nine stone running buddies of mine were whipping along at five and a half minute miles. And I was having to drag myself to keep up with them. And, and as you say, it's one of those weird things. Uh, um, I used to run with a, 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 a lady runner called uh, Jill Hunter. Oh, I, uh, I, Jill Hunter, yeah, international 1500 runner. Yeah, yeah she, was, she was rapid and I was not rapid. I was most definitely not rapid. But she said, one in every 10 runs, you have this magical feeling where you are floating across the ground. About three of them will be okay. And the other six will just be horrible that you have to do. And occasionally I would have that floaty feeling, but it wasn't one in every 10. It was more like one in every much, much yeah, more. I can identify with that. And then I discovered rowing. And after I got my head around the basics and, and built the fitness up, you do actually reach that point both on, on the machine and in a boat when it's going well, where you, you just hit a groove and it becomes this hypnotic thing that you can enjoy. So, so when you mentioned that, that, that sense of just getting into your groove and going with it, and anyone can do that, it really, really resonated with me. Yeah, well, that's, that's a very good description, Aaron. And I, th I think the, the C2 offers the, as, as I sort of touched on, it offers you the, the opportunity to get that feeling far more than any other sport does. Uh, Jill Hunter gave a very good description. I mean, I can remember runs that I've, I've just thought, oh, why can't it be like that all the time? That, that was absolute sheer joy. But of course you have to earn those and you have to earn the rows too. But for every one run that you would have ever got like that, I mean, there's, there's at least 10 rows. So yeah, yeah. Bless, bless the machine for that. I, I wouldn't want to be criticising the pain machine too often. <laughs> Rod, to, again, something you, you said, you found it quite easy to hit lightweight. You, so you're basically, you're one of these people who just needs to switch from drinking beer to drinking wine, essentially, and you're there. <laughs> it's true. I mean, I, I actually don't bother drinking at, at all by nature these days because the, I mentioned drinking and eating together. Because I was the president of the local rugby club, I used to go to a lot of dinners. Um, I'd, I'd never been, this, I'd, as a rugby player, I was certainly used to the 10 pints and a curry Saturday night type of uh, party lifestyle. Um, but I'd never been a, a wine with the meal at home during the week or anything like that. You know, once a week I'd have a blast with the team and that was generally, that, that was about it. Um, I was training during the week. I was, I'd never used to, wasn't interested in going to pubs or anything midweek. Just getting getting a good blast with the team at the weekend was 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 plenty. I mean, often we'd have two at the weekend because Carol played in the women's rugby team as well. So uh, we'd have party time on a Saturday with the men's rugby and party time on Sunday with the women's rugby. But so uh, as president of the club, then uh, that continued after stopping playing because of uh, going to dinners, doing after dinner speeches, presentations, things like that. Uh, 
I just wasn't aware of the lightweight category. I mean, although I was running, I was probably running at around about 12 and a half stone, which is what, 78, 79 kilograms. Uh, and for those in America listening in, it's um, oh, lightweight limit is 165 pounds. So I guess it was around about 175 pounds, 180 pounds, something like that. Anyway, not, not too far over. But when I became more aware of the lightweight limit and the fact that I was getting completely duffed up by six foot eight inch muscle guys like Steve Bainbridge, who played second row for the British Lions. I've, I've since gone on to, to, to get to know Steve, who's a, who's a great row, a great character. Well, guys that are playing second row for the British Lions tend to be a lot bigger, stronger than the guys that play on the wing, which was my position um, in, in the local just a local club. So as I became more aware of the performances people were doing at lightweight, I thought, well, I'll try and change a few things, see if I can get the weight to come down. So I started to eat more salads and less roast dinners. Uh, I started to really just not bother with the beer. Um, and it, it that, that extra, if you like, stone, that extra uh, few kilos, uh, extra few pounds, just fell off. And by... Quite nat I naturally sit at 160, 163 pounds, which is what, 72, uh, 73, 74 kilos. Uh, I naturally sit around 11 stone 8, 11 stone 10. You know, that those are the, the ways of expressing the weight. I was amazed how quick it came off. Um, and I did my first race as a lightweight in the, I think it was the fifth, I was in the 50, 54 category then over in Bristol when the days when there were lots of regional races, which I'll touch on later. And um, uh, instead of being a mid-packer or whatever it was, but in those days, I um, I won it, which uh, was a was a great feeling. I thought, well, that's justified it. And uh, I, I, it's, I've never looked back. I, I mean, I, I try to eat healthy. I haven't got any diet secrets. I don't follow any fatty diets. I don't fast. I don't low-carb. I don't high-protein. I don't this. I don't that. Uh, I just try and stick to chicken, fish, fruit, fresh vegetables, a lot, a lot in the way of salads, uh, yogurt, not too much ice cream, um, bananas, grapes, melon. And I'm also a bit of a fussy eater as well. So it's no hardship for me to eat much the same things. Whereas Carol will be tucking into cheese, baked beans, avocados, quiche. I couldn't eat any of those things. I mean, I can't even go in the same room as baked beans. So, <laughs> so the if I can put, if I can call it the sort of like the healthier eating way really does suit me. It's not a hardship. So being a lightweight is is a perfectly natural thing for me. And being competitive, it gives me the opportunity to compete a little further up on the rankings and maybe have a little bit more ambition in terms of race performances, results, medals and records and, and things like that. So in a nutshell, that's really where I am with it. So it's not really, it's, it's not really a diet per se. It's what m most people would characterize as just healthy, sensible eating. Yeah. I'm saying that because Loon and I both have experiences of uh, coxes in, in, on, in water rowing who, who, when it comes time, you know, when you're getting towards the Henley end of the season and you have, you know, Met and Wallingford coming up and they're looking longingly at their lettuce leaf sandwich, which is a lettuce leaf and, you know, and, and folding within, within, within two other bits two of other lettuce, leaf. lettuce leaves. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And we, I think we would all say that, that we know a couple of lightweight rowers who seem to naturally fit into that category. I'm thinking specifically of Zachary Green, Bluen, but we also know a lot of lightweights who, who starve themselves uh, to get down to the weight. And also uh, we had a chat with, with Eric Murray, the um, New Zealand rower, and he talks about it gets, the, the search for grams gets so desperate that they will actually have special all-in-ones made that are basically, you know, um, uh, one molecule of fabric thick when they weigh in, and then they will change back to their normal kit oh, just to make. But you're actually just doing it just by eating sensibly. I've seen, the answer to the quick answer is yes. You've you've hit the nail on the head. That's exactly it for me. But when I did the World Championships in Washington back in 2018, the guy that actually, uh, the guy that actually beat me, the American guy from Texas. He failed the weigh-in and had to sweat for an hour with with extra clothes on to try and get some fluid out so that he could go back within the hour window. And he just made it. And he then went on to win the race. <laughs> so I, I've come across the story. I've never I've never been anywhere near the limit a weigh-in. Uh, when I did the World Championships in Paris, uh, it was the lightest I ever was. I was only 71 and a half kilos because, as it turned out, I was dehydrated from the journey. But um, it's never been, never been a problem. Yeah, healthy eating is all it is. No secrets. Um, it turns out that, probably, uh, if, if only the benefit of hindsight, if I'd actually had this knowledge and this kind of lifestyle when I was a younger runner, I would have done a lot better because my mother... They used to overfeed me with wonderful roast dinners. And uh, one of the reasons that I didn't achieve my full potential as a runner, particularly a 400-metre runner, was because I probably was carrying that little bit too much weight as a young runner because I wasn't aware of the nutritional value of food and the fact that I was probably having too much in a way of, and I describe them as roast dinners, but my mum used to give me midweek roast dinners. And my kind of frame did uh, you know, being a rugby player, uh, albeit a, a winger, a rugby winger, um, did, did actually put some weight on, but not that much. And, you know, that, so the, the healthier eating has enabled me to be a little bit more natural, which is which is a lot trimmer. And as I say, not not bothering so much. I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not interested in drinking beer. As a, when you get over 60, as far as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm not so sure that drinking beer is a good idea to anybody. And as far as I'm concerned, it's something I did when I was young after rugby matches. Certainly wouldn't want to do it now. I, I go to uh, reunions down at my rugby club and I see some of the old guys and they've got pop bellies. And I'm thinking, you used to be quite fit. Why, why have you let your belly go out like that? And they're, they're absolutely amazed that I come down there and they say I'm fitter now than I was back then. What's going on? And I'm, to me, it's just natural that you would want to look after yourself as you get older. They seem to want to deteriorate. So different schools of thought. <laughs> there you go. I said I could meander a bit. You kind of picked up on a, a sort of interesting point there. And it, now, I believe we were both sort of around about the same time, 2006, 2007, 2008, hanging around the old concept2.co.uk forum. Yes. Um there, there was a significant debate at that time about the concept of the glory lightweight. Yes, the, yes. The, um, the, the guy who was basically naturally about 85, 88 kilos. Yep. And then just stripped off three stone. Yep. To, to join in. Is, I mean, okay, it's entirely within the rules, but do you, do you feel that's a little bit, look... Just, just train harder, do more weights or something, or is it? Well, 
I, I don't have a problem with people doing that. As, as, as far as I'm concerned, if someone can pass the way in, then fine. I have, if I get beaten by someone that we used to call in those days, the, the, the term was coined by a guy called Sir Pirate, as he posted, Phil Morris. And he's actually, these days, he's a very good friend of mine. Love him to bits. He's a great character. And uh, <laughs> we've had many a chat about it. As far as I'm concerned, if someone can pass away in and they beat me, fine. I have no grouses. Not at all. No, if that's how someone is, that's fine. They are, in fact, though, missing out on the competitive opportunities that, are, that, you, that there are outside of races, such as the rankings, and they could do so much more if they were to do it regularly. But that's their lookout, and that, that's their choice. I don't have a problem with people doing that. And if that's, if that's how it is, that's how it is. It's no complaints from me. It's not how I do it, but if others want to do it, then good luck to them. You know, one of the many reasons we want to talk to you is because the past few years have been something of a kind of golden years for you. Yeah. You, you yeah. have, you know, as far as I can work out, and I don't think I've found all your records, since 2018, you've just been ticking off distances, one after the other. And what what happened in the kind of the run up to 2018 and why has it all just like concentrated in there? You know, what, what, what change did Broadchin make to become something of a world beater? Well, there were, there were three, three things happened that changed everything. The, the, it was an absolute sea change for me. And these things came along relatively closely together. And I'm, I'm eternally grateful that they happened. The first thing that happened was I turned 60 which meant that I could look at competing against people in the 60 to 69 age group where I would be at the young end, as opposed to people in the 50 to 59 age group where I was at the old end. So I suddenly thought, oh, that's all right. Maybe a bit of glory here. Whoopie-doo. Um, uh, instead, uh, instead of being the old boy, I'll be the young whippersnapper. Maybe I can be a bit higher on the rankings. I'd always been interested in looking at where... I could compete on the rankings. Uh, I do find them a very useful tool. And one of the first things I thought was, well, if I can uh, do a good performance over one hour on my 60th birthday, that'll be, I can tell all my friends that I, on my 60th birthday, I rode for 60 minutes. That seemed like a, you know, I'm, I'm sure anyone can get a vision of that being something that might be an, a, an ambition. And I thought, and it would be very nice to take a quick screenshot of me at number one on the world rankings that I could show all my friends and blather away um, before all the fast guys came in. Because my birthday being in September, it was relatively early in the season. I thought I could maybe get a quick snapshot of me at number one in the rankings before all the fast guys come in. And by the end of the season, I'll be pushed a long way down. And as luck would have it, that's what happened. I rode somewhere in the region of 15,800, 
What happened was I did it, got to the top of the rankings, took the screenshot, managed to put it on my Facebook homepage to all my friends. Hey, look at what I did on my 60th birthday. I didn't go out and drink 10, 60 pints of beer like I would have done on my 18th birthday. Um, I did 60 minutes on the road instead, and they're all, all my friends are coming in saying, oh, you're, a, you're an idiot. You should have gone out for a meal and got drunk. I said, well, I had a nice piece of cake. And I, no, 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 I don't do that anymore. All my old rugby friends said, you should have come down to the rugby club and had 10 pints of beer with us. No, why would I want to do that when I could be on a rowing machine with my wife and then eating a nice piece of cake? That's, that's the change in my mentality that I had around 60. And that gave me a kick and a boost, but it didn't really, you know, it didn't really get me any records or anything like that. That was that was enough for me. I thought, well, that, you know, there I was all those years ago, finishing virtually last in brick while my wife won it. And here I am, top of the rankings, or get for five minutes. It was a, it was a complete load of fluff. And it, was, it, it wasn't re- reality in terms of any kind of ability, uh, other than the fact that I managed to fluke it for the day. As far as that, that was my attitude. And I was happy and it made the cake taste nice. But... Just after then, uh, a friend of mine from my old athletics days, a guy called Chris Cheeseman, he, um, he's someone who went, he's uh, a year younger than me, but he's, he'd actually taken an interest in indoor rowing. He'd come along to Brick to watch, and we'd corresponded uh, by email, and we'd, we bumped into each other at an old rugby reunion, and we're talking about indoor rowing. He actually competed at 50-kilometre walk for England in the Commonwealth Games. He was a top-class international road race, uh, road walking racer, uh, to say nothing of the fact that he'd been a, quite a talented 1,500, 5,000-metre runner when we, were young, when we were youngsters at the athletic club. So it was basically a bit of a reunion. Hi, Chris. Hi, Rod. How are you doing? Both in, I've seen you on the rowing list. So I look great. Well, what, I said to Chris, well, why don't you come along and do a session at our gym? You know, as I mentioned earlier, Carol and I have our own gym at home with two machines. And he came along. And the two of us sat down together and we said, well, should we row for an hour? We said, yep, okay, let's do, let's do that. We weren't going to race. It was a training session. We would just see how we went so we could pick up on each other's technique and uh, just row together. And I, he did something very strange. He put a heart rate monitor onto the handle where he could see it. So what are you doing? What's that? This is my heart rate monitor. Now, I didn't exactly say what's a heart rate monitor. I did know what a heart rate monitor was, but I'd never done heart rate training before. And I said, well, why do you use a heart rate monitor? Knowing that he would, he's a, he's a university professor, so he's quite technically savvy, and he was an international race walker, as I mentioned, so he's quite well clued up in sports science. So he explained to me that, He'd like to train within certain heart rate limits. And he then said something that had been, that uh, got me thinking. He said, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Maffetone method. Obviously, I said, what's the Maffetone method? And he said, well, well, we'll look it up later, but it's where you row slowly below a certain heart rate limit. Okay. Anyway, we did the row. We did the hours row. And because my attitude had been that I could probably convert, I could probably make him a better rower if I got him to do more rowing faster than all this slow stuff. But instead of me influencing him to go faster, to go faster more often, he influenced me to go slower and longer more often because I read up on the Maffetone method 
And it was basically, I mean, for those that understand, as I'm sure you know, you, or you would do, I mean, it was basically doing about 80% of your rowing in UT2 and only doing about 20% of your rowing as fast. Well, I'd been doing it probably the other way around. I mean, I can remember doing plan. You've probably heard of the Pete plan. Yeah. Well, I can. I, I, I trained with Pete uh, for, for a little while and he, he got me to a 2K PB back in my younger days. Well, I say my younger days, I was in my, mid, was in my mid-50s. Um, and I always used to wonder why he had a few days in there where you only rode 30 minutes slowly. And I never used to do them slowly. I used to do them fast. He used to tell me off for rowing fast. And I, we never really got into, into it, into why. Well, of course, suddenly a whole new world opened up to me. And this world that I had neglected and this whole new world that I suddenly went into, it was like the curtain had gone up. It was aerobic development, developing, building and developing your aerobic base, building your house on firm foundations, not as I had been doing, on sand. Now, I really was that thick. I really had been doing too much too fast and just had not paid any attention to the development of the aerobic base. And when you think that my background had uh, was athletics, coaches like Arthur Lydiard, Percy Ceruti, uh, H- uh, Harry, um, what's his name? He used to, co- I forget, Harry, who used to coach Steve Ovette, even Peter Coe, who used to coach Seb all used to give good, uh, Frank Horwell of the British Milers Club, who influenced a lot of people I used to run with, a guy like Tim Hutchings, who was a national cross-country champion. They all used to talk about the long, slow runs. And I used to think they were silly and should do short, fast ones. Well, guess what? All these international athletes were right, and I was wrong. <laughs> and finally, the penny dropped. I mean... Any, you know, you, you, you and Aaron, you, you and Lou, and you both experienced rowers. You'd be, I'm sure, inwardly laughing at my ignorance here. But uh, finally, the curtain, I say, the concert curtain came up. I could hear the orchestra clearly, and I dived into the aerobic development, and it revolutionised my performances. I mentioned the hour on my 60th birthday. Someone said to me, "You've only got to go another hundred metres, and you could break the British record." I said, "Really?" I hadn't even looked at British records. I hadn't got the foggiest idea what any, I didn't think I would even, it would be worth my while to look at British records. And this guy, um, he said, he said, yeah, you could find another 100 metres, couldn't you? And I went, hold on a minute. And I had a look at what the British records were. And because I developed my aerobic base and my times were just improving hand over fit, it was just, I gave the hour ago and broke the British record. That was my that was my, my first British record. I thought, wow, how did I do that? And next thing you know, um, I've attacked a few other British records with this newfound ability. My um, hundred, would you believe my hundred meters? My two k, most importantly, my two k was not seconds off uh, what had been my age group PB. Uh, I went down to. Uh, six six fifty four from struggling to get under seven minutes, and um, that then brought me to the attention of uh, probably one of the, you know one of the best known and most respected coaches in in the indoor rowing community, Eddie Fletcher. I didn't think I was fit to even contemplate 
talking to guys of the fame and stature of Eddie Fletcher. And yet there he was commenting on something that I'd posted on one of the Facebook rowing groups, which I know we've, we all use. And I was, I, thought, I was staggered. I thought, Eddie Fletcher has spoken to me. What, what's going on here? And anyway, that led to a conversation. And I, um, I asked Eddie then if I could partake of some of the testing that I knew he did at his, his lab, because it, it was only about a two and a half, three hour drive away from me to go to his place in Worcester, because I live southeast England and he lives southwest Midlands. So Carol and I uh, went over to his place, did some testing, and he measured my uh, lung capacity, my heart rate, all, all sorts of things that a sports scientist go into um, and an ignoramus like me wouldn't really know too much about. And I talked to him about taking me on. I, you know, I, I thought, well, he's, he's never going to be interested in coaching. And he was actually genuinely interested in my performances and how he felt that the tests that he'd given me showed that my potential was to do a lot better than I actually had done, which knocked me sideways. Really? He said, yeah, do you realise that your capacity for, uh, uh, oxygen uptake is this. Do you realize that your, uh, your speed is that? And did you, you could do this thing really well. So anyway, so I took on Eddie as a, uh, as, as a coach. Eddie took me on as, as a coach and I've been, and that was, uh, two and a half years ago and I've been with him ever since. And Eddie has transformed me yet again into a far more successful rower. Uh, with his coaching methods. I mean, Eddie's, the things Eddie's given me to do uh, have abs absolutely improved me and have left me where I am now with far more ambition to achieve more things. And um, it, it's really thanks to Eddie, whose fantastic coaching has got me where I am. But I couldn't have, I couldn't have even had the courage to talk to Eddie without the aerobic development improvements that came from Chris Cheeseman and I probably wouldn't have bothered to be that competitive about things if I hadn't turned 60 and wanted to do 60 minutes on my 60th birthday. So the age group has made me more competitive. The aerobic development made me a much better rower. And Eddie has taken me on to yet another level. So, again, a long-winded answer to your question, but that's what's happened in the last 18 months. If there's a record, I'll have a bash at it if I think I can. I didn't want to cut you off because it was really interesting hearing the development trajectory. I want to say Steve Ovetz, was Steve Ovetz coach Harry Wilson? Yes, uh, yes. Right. It's not like me to forget a name, but I, I let myself down rather badly there. Yes, Harry Wilson. No, no, it's fine. As soon as you said Harry, I went, I know this. No, it's not Harry Greb. He was a boxer. It's Harry and Harry you'd, Wilson came. You'd have been more used to Jimmy Headley up your way. Yes. Steve Graham's coach. Yeah, and I, I think... Um, you know, you're saying, you know, we, we must be laughing on the inside that this, this we called it the rowing pyramid and, and you're, you're dead right. 80% of the stuff is, is high volume, low intensity in the UTs. But the thing is, um, we took that on board at Agecroft because it had been passed down from the squad. But if you actually go back and read someone like Steve Redgrave's book, which is a, uh, you know, despite the fact he's an awesome athlete and it's a Homeric tale, his book is a cure for insomnia. If you ever suffer from it, who, who, whoever wrote it didn't capture the epic drama of, of, of being Redgrave, but that all of that stuff, all of that high volume, low intensity stuff and building the base and the capillary development stuff, it came from Jurgen coming in, uh, and when he came in in the in the early nineties, first at Leander and then in the squad, 
they were basically like you. They whatever session they did, they did flat out as hard as they could. Yeah. And 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 all of this, um, we're going to row for ninety minutes at eighteen strokes a minute, and we're going to be able to talk all the way through the row. And you know, our heart rate's going to be this was a complete anathema to them, and they were very dubious as well. You know, we'll, we'll we'll give it a year, and if we if we don't do anything, you know, when it comes to race time, then we'll go back to what we know. And they stuck with the with the low strike rate stuff for for the whole year, and and the, as history shows, they went on to basically smash everything. Yeah, and it did become a water rowing orthodoxy. Um, so so you know, yes, we, we we've had to build our base in the same way, and I think Lou and I would both say that we quite. We quite actually sneakily enjoyed the short, fast, brutal, horrific, horrendous, makes you throw up stuff much more than the the slow stuff sometimes. But what was interesting for me, Lou, and that was um, you were talking, Rod. It sounds like you have a coach in the same way we had someone like Dennis O'Neill or Pete Holmes going, "Look, you're doing this. This, these are predictors of this. If you do this, you can then do that." Is that a rarity in the indoor rowing world for to have a dedicated coach? It is yes. I mean, you, you've you've hit the, the nail on the head there. I think you can you can liken the uh, the enlightenment that Jurgen Grobler brought to the British scene to the enlightenment that was was pointed at me uh, by Chris Cheeseman when I was sixty. Uh, I mean, the the, sim- the simple thing to say was, if I had Eddie Fletcher coaching me when I first started, I would have done a lot better. But uh, the um, looking at the indoor rowing community as a whole. Most people, I, I get the feeling that most people tend to just sort of blast away on their own. Um, and if they stick with chatting on the on the Facebook pages, they do start to get this information filter through to them. And in recent years, coaches have started to appear more so. Um, people like uh, Brian Fuller, Sarah Graham Furman, Sam Blythe is is a well known name, well known coach. I mean, I, I'm I predate. Because I'm so old, uh, and Sam's Sam's so young. Um, I mean, I predate Sam by quite a long time. So I'm talking about the kind of changes that have um, uh, have come in. But people would that are new would do very well to get someone to, that's knowledgeable to set a program for them. I uh, I have uh, I, I tend to do my online chats with my laptop, and I keep some kind of set answers on my laptop because a lot of questions seem to keep cropping up all the time, and I'm happy enough to help new rowers. So I. I, I, I get laughed at for it, and quite rightly so. That oh god, here he goes again. And it's 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 basically a uh, some articles that I've written, and I copy and paste them on as replies to people. But they all say the, the same sort of thing, which is explaining aerobic development to people, and hoping that new rowers can avoid making the same mistakes as many of us have made, which is to blast away too often. But people would do very well to find themselves a coach who is far more versed because versed in in, in the um in the, in the, te- the techniques and the science of indoor rowing it isn't rocket science but it is amazing how much uh change and how much improvement can be made just by having some basics adhered to and which of course requires explaining in the first place i i should ex- i should actually point out here that there's probably a difference between what i um preach to a degree because uh, I'm I, I, you know, I, I think my name appears on uh, Facebook with these these articles 
fairly frequently. Uh, if you can say that's you know, where I'm preaching aerobic development, there is a difference perhaps between some of what I'm preaching and to what I practice uh, for the simple reason that the, the kind of stuff that I'm preaching is a f very much a simplified aerobic development background explanation. And I'm basically saying to people, read up on Maffetone, read up on uh, Polarized Training by Stephen Seeler, look at 80% slow and 20% fast. It's easy and simple to put across, and it's a few nice, basic, simple links to give to people. If someone's new into the sport, it's a great way to start, and it, it's a great way to carry on for a long time. Once you get to a certain level, which I'm delighted to have, uh, have after many years of slogging away reach then someone who's as knowledgeable and as experienced and as technically gifted and uh talented a coach as eddie i mean i can't sing his praises high enough because he's done so much for me um he he actually gives me work that i couldn't explain in such simple terms uh, eddie wouldn't uh, say i mean I, you know it's not for me to say what eddie does or doesn't doesn't give because it's 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 complex and he's the sports scientist he i just do what he tells me i couldn't necessarily explain all the intricacies behind it if i could i'd be a sports scientist too and i'm not he is but he wouldn't he wouldn't say do this at ut2 ut or you know all all the heart rate stroke rate targets that he gives me are based on the testing that i've done with him so it's all very much bespoke for me and that's a level that uh, that's a level of training that i'm sure you and lou would understand through, through certainly through your, your, your on rowing is when you get to a level where you're doing more specific type of training for you now that would not be suitable for i would say 95 percent of the community as we understand it where we see the all these names on the c2 rankings and where we chat to people on the facebook pages I think the majority of people need to really get to grips with the 80-20 ratio, the aerobic development, the uh, things like drag factor, stroke, stroke length, foot positioning and what have you. All those things need to be really mastered and practiced for, for a long, long time before any contemplation of moving on is, is is, is 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 taken on and even then there's no guarantees in a lot of cases can make a lot of difference i mean i'm, I'm very grateful that it has for me but uh, that's that's really what i wanted to point out having talked about coaching and training methods is that in simple terms there probably is a difference between well, the way that i would explain things to someone um because someone could say well how do you do it how come it's so different and that's the reason what i do is different to what i would actually take a great deal of time and effort to explain to people when they're new. Okay. Uh, sorry, sorry for the, uh, sorry for the waffling on, but uh, mm. that's, that's quite an important point to me that. No, it's fine. We love waffle. <laughs> we do it all the time. That's what, that's basically what our podcast is. Rod. Well, no, I listen, I listen to your podcast. I enjoy it. I think you two do a great job. I mean, uh, it, I, and I'm honored to be here because it, it means that I can actually correct a few of the inaccuracies that, uh, John Stevenson of the uh, the Row Along podcast and of uh, Fitness Matters fame, who's a great fellow. I've met him many times, chat to him regularly, top top bloke. Bless his cotton socks, he got quite a bit wrong about me, so it's a chance to put a few wrongs right. But uh, he was, uh, you know, it, it was it was understa understandably mistaken, and he was uh, he was very nice about what he said about me. 
So there you go, I'll correct you. He said I was a nice bloke. I'm not, I'm horrible. <laughs> <laughs> we actually went back and John said, would you mind taking that out? And we actually went back and took it out. And, and he, told, he told me, but um, yeah. it's, it's, it was no problem. Now, I thanked him very much for his kind words. And it's, it's understandable that some of the things that he said about me, anyone would think. But uh, I, I knew slightly different about a few things, which I can put right here. But uh, they're, they're not important. It's not, it's not major. As I say, he did say I was a nice fella. Um, I, I wouldn't promote myself as that. So that's the first thing I've got to correct. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just sitting here and just thinking about, it's like, should I get some coaching? Should I go and get some testing done? Yeah, um, you need it. You need it. I've seen your finishes. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. <laughs> well, well, it's... <laughs> It's, it's got to be said what you were saying about like the balance between the high intensity and the low intensity stuff. I would say that I was probably the absolute worst person for not obeying that. So like do the slow stuff slowly. I just wanted to destroy myself on every single session. And I kind of look back on all the stuff me and Aaron did at Agecroft. And I got, I got pretty fast at Agecroft, you know, physically, um, we were rowing well. But when I look back at how hard I was going on what was meant to be UT2. Yeah. And, the, and, and literally my mentality, which was look along the line. And, and you know, you, you're in a line of maybe at Agecroft, it was maybe what, 12 12, 13 rowers in a line and then another five or six maybe behind you. Videos of it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you can see either side of you two ergos at the finish. You can see their screens. And I was just thinking, I just all I have to do is keep the stroke rate. It was three by 6K, 18 strokes a minute. And it's just like, don't have the fastest stroke rate, have the fastest split. Yeah, and it's so, so understandable. Just, just that absolutely kind of, I look back on it now, I'd like to say I'm a different person. I'm not. I'm just slightly more. Um, Older. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm much more susceptible to overtraining. So I kind of, illness and injury tend to force me into no, just like, just focus on that, like 115 to 125 heart rate zone and just hold it there. And also not training with anyone else. You know, I've got, got the rowing machine in the, in the spare room. And that has, I think, really done a lot for me. But I just, I do look back on the Agecroft stuff and say, you know, I was just, I was missing a trick there rowing at 152 and I, I should have just been like tapping it out at 158. Yeah. So, so for example, Rod, as Lewin's just said, we, we would routinely, you know, we, we, we had a, we had a Lancastrian rower called Stuart Moffat at Agecroft who said, uh, 18K every day, gets that fit, gets that strong and moves that board. Um, and we would routinely do at least one 18K on an erg a week, more usually two, sometimes three, and that would go up to 21K as three by yeah. seven or whatever, which is a fairly standard base of the pyramid session. But even though we'd been tested and we knew our, our heart rate and all of the rest of it, instead of sitting at two minutes or two or five and just tapping it out, it would be, you know, I, I'd, it was 156 last time. I'll do 155.8 this time. Lewin would do 153. So he'd have to make himself do 152.9. You, you just keep edging. You just keep 
we just kept pushing, pushing it pushing down. Pushing those envelopes a little bit. Yeah, and what happened was the, the gap between our maximum speed on, on say, a, either either a, a, a sub-maximal test like a 2K or a, or a flat-out 1K or whatever, the gap between that and, and what we're supposed to be doing as an easy session was getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And we probably weren't doing our, our base any good because we were just, okay, we're all together, yeah. let's, let's go. That's it's so easy to do, and um, I talk. I mean, I uh, I helped to run a group called the Diamonds, which is for over sixties rowers, and that's probably where I'm most active uh, in terms of uh, community chat these days. Um, and a lot of people have have uh, taken the ideas on board of going slower to actually get faster. Is is I mean, people have heard the expression, "It does work." When I mentioned my friend, the international race walker that turned me on to it, as it were, and um, the expression he used was, you can't train too slow, but you can train too fast. Mm. And never, never a better phrase ever, ever given, really, because if we're all going to start competing and trying to get those slow sessions a little bit faster and, and it's, it defeats the object, it's... It's since come home to me that it's the consistency over time that works. And now that I'm aware of that, I look back at what um, another friend of mine from athletics, I mentioned him earlier, Tim Hutchings, who's a BBC commentator now. Uh, he he came fourth in the Los Angeles Olympics 5000, the national cross-country champion, very well-known, very well-respected runner. And I did some training with him for a period when we both worked at the same place because we both lived in Crawley. And looking back at the things that he was doing, like going out for a uh, relatively long run at a very slow pace in the morning and doing a faster track session in the evening, I thought, well, why bother with the long, slow run in the morning? Why not just do an extra track session? Well, now 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 with the knowledge that I have, I look back on all the things that I came across in the past and I'd missed... I'd missed those pointers. Now that the knowledge is there, I can see why the idea of not going too fast is is such a beneficial one. And it's knowledge of the uh, the, the body's energy systems and can see that by rowing slowly, you're working more on the if burning fat for fuel rather than glycogen, muscle. A lot of people define it as the difference between burning fat as opposed to burning sugar. I mean, the... the there are more scientific ways of saying it, but it's, it's essentially true. Um, if you spend too much time burning sugar rather than fat for fuel, you're never going to develop that extra gear which the fat burning gives you, um, which delays the point at which you fatigue in a 2K, for example. Uh, and again, that's a very simple way of explaining VO2 max and uh, you know various other scientific terms. But these are the ways to, to put it across to newer rowers because they make sense. A lot of long, slow rowing means that you can go a lot faster in a 2K. Sounds crazy, but it works. And uh, now I know it. I didn't then. Uh, I'm glad I'm glad it happened before I got to... I'm glad it happened at around about 60, not around about 70. Otherwise, I'd have wasted my 60s as much as I wasted my 50s. <laughs> and much as I wasted much of my running career, because if I'd really been as aware of that when I was in my teens, then I would have... I could have had more success as a runner because I would have done 800s. I mean, I ended up as uh, 800s and 1500s as well. Uh, I would have progressed along the same kind of distance route that Ovette did because Steve Ovette 
as I've mentioned earlier, you know, he was only half hour down the road. I was in Crawley. He was in Brighton. I, I originally initially knew him as a well-known, well-known county sprinter. Next thing you know, he's doing 800 metres. Next thing you know, he's doing 1,500 metres and breaking the world record for the mile. Well, I'd have never, I'd have never been at that level. But as a 400 metre runner, I would have gone on to be an 800. And then as I was in, the, in my 60s, I became a veteran's 800, 1,500 metre runner. I actually won the county championships at 800 metres in my, uh, in my 60s. So um, it's a shame that I didn't find all that out until it was too late. But uh, it does give me the chance to be competitive into the, my 60s and hopefully my 70s, as opposed to, you know, not having achieved what I could have done when I was younger. But that's the kind of thing that drives you on. So, yeah, we're all, we're all in agreement there. That pyramid works, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, I, I, I think so. As I'm going to say this again, as irritating as I feel, you know, fine <laughs> building the base of that pyramid. We, yes, we it, all it want does. to do that, Lou, and you're not alone. You're oh, not alone. <laughs> I'm not the only mad one. Um, so... So something you you also mentioned you, you mentioned you've got your own gym in the garden. Yes, it's in a in a timber frame building, otherwise known as a shed. <laughs> and 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 you, and you mentioned about weights. And yes, you, you mentioned that a couple of times. Is that quite a big part of the training for you? It's not a big part. No, it's a very small part. Uh, I've one of the reasons for. I mean, I, I I would a lot of people in that are new to indoor rowing say. Will I get faster if I do weights? And my answer to that is always, well, no guarantees, possibly not. It's not essential. Uh, I, I've always enjoyed weight training, and I, enjoy, I like the feeling that it gives of, of firmness in, in, um, in, in, the, in one's musculature. Uh, the weight training that I do is not very heavy. Uh, I do it regularly, but it's lightweights, high reps, purely, I think, because I, you know, I don't want to overdo it and I don't want to risk injury. It probably does help the rowing a little bit because of the exercises that I do are based around the, the rowing action, particularly squats. But I don't think weight training is essential for rowers. It, it's it's a, an off-debated subject. And I've, I always come out with the same thing, which is the best training for rowing is rowing. There's no guarantees that adding weight training is going to help you at all. And there's a fair chance that if you do add rowing in, you'll be overdoing it, tiring yourself out, and you'll find that your own performances go down. Some may find their performances go up. Some may find they go down. But it's not an essential thing. But it's something I enjoy doing. Um, I enjoy squats, sit-ups, rowing action, uh, curls, and, and what have you, but uh, I, I don't go mad on it. I, I did actually spend a period of time as a hammer thrower, which is going to sound completely different to everything that I've just been waffling on about. But uh, when I was got into my late 20s, I was starting to slow quite dramatically in the sprinting area. And um, a friend of mine was a hammer thrower. And as I mentioned earlier, I could always do the shot and the discus when I was younger. And I'd always liked the idea of the hammer, uh, because when I used to compete for Crawley Athletic Club in what was called the Southern the Men's Southern League, you actually got a point if you finished last. And I was the team manager for a while as well. So if you could persuade a marathon runner to do 100 metres, yes, he'd come last, but he'd still get a point. And it was the team with the most points won the competition. So you'd often get little runners throwing things and you'd often get big rowers, uh, big throwers running things. 
And I actually took to hammer throwing between the ages of 28 and 40. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was more like a dance than a throw. And I, I used to um, enjoy it. I used to, uh, I used to compete in the county championships. I never won it. I didn't even get a medal. I, I never got, I think I came third once. Um, but uh, I used to thoroughly enjoy it. But it was that kind of weight training strength work for hammer throwing that it stood me in good stead, I think, for the, the overall rowing action. But uh, so much with weight training depends on what you're, you're blessed with in the first place. And you can't put in what the, the good Lord has left out, I don't think. So I do say to people, no, don't get carried away with weight training. It is not a panacea. It is not a cure-all. Many people yeah. think that it is. Just to just to, wait, to to come back on that and to link it with a point you made earlier, Rod, and I, I realise that, you know, I, I in the podcast, I always describe Luna as my oppressive Southern overlord and, and I'm his surf-like um, Northern monkey, but I realise that I'm now talking much more than he is at, the, at this point, so I apologise for that. But um, you mentioned about what one of the things that your coach has brought is, uh, and one of the things you've developed is a specificity of training for things that will benefit you. And with regards to the weight training, um, I think what I'm taking from your point is if you want to get into rowing either on the water or on an indoor level, go and do the rowing first. And then as it develops, you can maybe look at what you would like to add to it, but actually do the work on the, on the rowing machine. And the reason I'm saying this, Loon, is because we did do weights and we did, we did very, we did a very specific circuit and we, then we did a very specific heavier weight circuit, but it was once we'd reached a certain point as rowers, it became incorporated into our training to develop what we'd already put in place and also to take us further. But if someone was coming to indoor rowing now and they went, there's the indoor rower, I'll just go and do a weight session to get ready for it it'd be more beneficial if they went, let's crack on with the rowing and see where we are and start to develop that as opposed to trying to do everything all at once. Would that be a fair assessment? Of oh, that's, 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 ex uh, that's pretty much word for word how I would like to put it across if I, if, uh, if I was as eloquent as you, you northern monkey. Because uh, my... <laughs> Hoist by my, my own petard. There you go. My, um, <laughs> my thoughts are that the northerners are brighter than us southerners. So uh, I, I don't... Don't, don't tell him that. He's never <laughs> going to let me live that one down. I've, uh, I've been put in my place by many, by many northern friends before, so... So I, I don't have I don't have such a view, but if you if you're new to rowing, if you've got something with your technique that isn't right, uh, no amount of weight training is going to cure it. So get your rowing right before you even think of any kind of weight training. Definitely, it's 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 so important to do it that way around. Someone um, it was a, it was a subject that cropped up recently on a Facebook conversation, and someone quoted the fact that. This uh, world powerlifting or this world strongman champion has, has set a, a record, the world record for 100 meters on the rower. Well, that's that doesn't mean that weight training will make you a better rower. It just means that 100 meters is something of a, a sideshow and a circus act as far as indoor rowing is concerned. And yes, it would suit big, powerful bodybuilder, um, powerlifter, strongman types, but it's it's not really. It's not indoor rowing as we know it. So don't use that as an example as to why weight training will make you a better indoor rower. It's it's just not a fact. Well, not yeah. as far as I'm concerned anyway. I mean, I, that, 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 I should stress that is my opinion, but uh, I think I'm fairly safe on that one. 
Yeah, I, I think that's probably right. I mean, for, for me, weights, um, so I went through a long period of time in between kind of being part, of, when, when the kids came along, the only training I was doing really was on the rowing machine. And I was quite good at that. The problem was that I was at an age where doing endurance stuff didn't really make me strong anymore. When I was in my sort of early 30s and my my late 20s, just hammering it away on the rowing machine actually also made me quite strong. That yeah, do, yeah. yeah, that stopped after certainly certainly after my daughter came along. That kind of like that ability to just like I'll just do my eight by five hundred and you know that's basically weights that went away, and I ended up in like several times misjudging my own strength and completely, well, basically I injured myself. I injured my left elbow, my right knee. Uh, I injured my back a couple of times. And it, for me, doing weights is it's kind of really essential for me to not hurt myself. Yeah, you would benefit from lighter weights, higher reps, and doing more of it. There's, there's the, the, I did actually once see someone on uh, YouTube that was promoting far more sessions at a far lower intensity. And it's, it's horses for courses in a lot of cases, uh, different strokes, different folks. Uh, we all have different bodies and react in different ways. And I, but in if we have to use generalizations, I would say lower intensity and greater regularity would give far more benefit for, for weight training. Having said that, if you're training to be a shot putter, then you might want to be training slightly differently too if you want to be a rower. But in terms, if we just keep this to what's going to help us to become better rowers, then I would say lower intensity, greater regularity uh, would, would always win out. Um, unless, of course, you you know, you've got something specific and, and then that, that would need to be looked at on its merits. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I think anything below, well, I, I reckon it's like anything below a two-minute effort is, go, is, gonna, is probably going to benefit from being stronger um, and just yeah. that kind of, that sort of yeah. resilience. Guys, do, do you mind if I sort of regale the listeners with a personal story? Rod, Please it, do. It, it was you talking about this this system in athletics competitions of like putting people in for every event. Yeah, fill, it, fill, um, fill your fill your place, fill your spots, as it yeah. were. And, we and need being a, body. a hammer thrower, we need a body. Um, You're doing it, yeah, yeah. So, so it's actually one of my favourite stories about my dad. And when he was a much younger man than I am now, um, in the late sixties at Liverpool University, where he's doing his degree. He um he was a middle distance runner. And oh, right, yep. he, he got put into this situation where it's like, look, we need someone to do the hammer throw just to win. Um which and, club was he with? Oh I don't I mean it was it, it was the Liverpool University. Oh right, oh club. sorry. Yeah, you did yeah. say university. Sorry, yeah. yeah, I interrupted you. Um and he kind of looked at this thing and he was a very kind of physically and mechanically minded man. And he said, okay, I understand how this works. It's centrifugal force and you're just going to spin around 
And when I see it go past that point, I'm going to let go and it's going to fly out there. And he promptly threw, he won the competition and threw the record for, as a 1500 meter runner, threw the record for Liverpool University, which as far as I know still stands. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he's no longer with, with us, but it's just like, it's, it's a favorite story about my dad, which is just like this kind of guy who, he was actually quite cautious in his own way. He wouldn't, he wouldn't really, he didn't like doing things that he didn't understand, but as soon as he thought he understood them, he just absolutely go all in. And, you know, re regardless of like, you know, the, the hammer, it's not, it's not, strictly speaking a straightforward event you know you can it's you can very, get it wrong very much not straightforward i could my one little story of, with me and the hammer was uh, and doing things for a point is uh back in my running days with crawley athletic club uh, I, I did the hammer for a point in the days before i was a hammer thrower and someone else that i met that was doing it for a point that was a shot and discus man was that well-known indoor rower colin lieber Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, so there was the first time I ever met Colin Lieber. The, the people that listening in were probably not, Colin Lieber was a well-known on the, the sprint rowing events, world champion uh, various times, I think, over 500 metres, certainly British champion, uh, Royal Navy guy, absolutely smashing fella. He's and uh, first time, first time, he's a really lovely guy, always a pleasure to meet him at competitions. And um, uh, yeah, I, first time I have this memory of meeting him when we were both completely not knowing what the heck we were doing with a hammer in a circle. <laughs> and that was that was the same day that I raced the uh, the, the famous Andy Ripley over 100 metres. Really? Was, yeah, what, I've, I've got a... I, uh, if you, I can, I can uh, send it to you on Facebook. I've got a photograph of me running against Andy Ripley in 100 metres. It was in the Men's Southern League uh, at the old Chiswick Stadium in the summer of 1981. And I got out of the blocks ahead of him and I was ahead of him until about 80 metres. And then I noticed that this knee was coming past my ear <laughs> and, and he just got, he just beat me to the line by a 10th of a second. We were running into a bit of a, uh, a gale as I think it happened on the, uh, it was a slow time and a cold day, but um, yeah, Andy just got to the line ahead of me though. Those great long legs came past me, my little legs, got me away quickly and he came he, he just got me he just beat me to the line uh, but i got to know andy because he lived not far away from me i actually got him as a guest speaker at my rugby club dinner one time and Brilliant. used to talk to him about mainly about running in those days because he was still playing rugby and uh, was well known for the superstars as some of our older listeners may uh, may remember um, I do. I do. so i never really knew him in his indoor rowing days but uh, yeah, i'll have to send you that picture yeah as as arguably one of the most accomplished masters athletes, it's, it's something you haven't sort of particularly mentioned. I mean, do you have a specific plan for managing advancing age or is it just? Well, the, 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 I do. Um, the, the first, I suppose the most obvious answer from me on that one is just to stay alive. <laughs> so, um, and that, that's the flippant side of the answer, but there is a slightly serious side to that. And that is, um, sadly, uh, I've been to too many funerals in the last few years of people of my age and younger that have sadly been taken long, long before their time.
And that's reinforced the gratitude that, that I have to just to be able to do this. Um, the fact that I'm, uh, I am able to compete in the sports, because uh, I've been competing at sports since I was, I, I took up running as a 10 year old in the junior school. So there you go. So uh, 64 minus 10 is, so I've been a competitive sportsman for 54 years and I'm continuing to do so. So the fact that the pleasure of just being able to do it uh, when others that would love to be able to do it or just love to be alive um, can't is not lost on me. Um, the fact that I'm here talking to you about the sport that we enjoy taking part in is, is a, it, I'm, 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 I'm not missing the point that we, have got something that we enjoy talking about and enjoy the, can enjoy a conversation. None of which could I do if um, I didn't enjoy the kind of health that I'm lucky enough to have, or if, heaven forbid, I, I just weren't here in the first place. Although, but having said that, then, yeah, I mean, a, a particular ambition that I have is to break the British record for 2K, and that will be... Uh, something that I can have a crack at next year because the British record for 2K in the 65 to 69-year-old lightweights is outside seven minutes. Seven minutes, get, getting under seven minutes is always a kind of a benchmark for male or and female, uh, in a lot of cases, uh, rowers. Uh, I can remember when it was such a... I can remember the first time I did it, I, I started... because. Earlier on, I said I came next to last in British Championships. It was seven minutes, 70, I can't remember, I think it was seven minutes, seven seconds, something like seven, might have been 7.11, but it was seven minutes and a lot. So I didn't think, Christ, you know, these these winning guys were six minutes, 15, and I'm, I'm thinking, wouldn't it be wonderful just to break seven? So for a lot of people, getting under seven minutes is is a, a barrier. And I'd I'd like to be able to do it and crack the British record for 65 to 69 because two, 2K is the Blue Ribbon event. It's not my best event. Um, half marathon, marathon, and, and further, I'm much more of an endurance rower. But if I could do that, then I that would be a great thing to go for. And I'll be at the young end of the age group at Brick, not the one coming, which is Brick 2021. But if I can do it at Brick 2022, and maybe the World Championships a few months later in Toronto, it will sit nicely with my 65th birthday, which will be in September of next year. So that's, that's a big target. But uh, coming, coming back to right now, I do have immediate ambitions, and that is to work my way through the distances. And from now, I've, I've recently had about three months of taking it very easy because I needed that after 18 hard months, where I'd, uh, which cut more or less culminated with the 100K world record that I did on my 63rd birthday, which Eddie had got me into such fantastic shape for that uh, um, you know, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed doing. But uh, then doing things like marathons, half marathons, it does, does take a toll. So three months of easy work, and I've now started to get back into tough stuff with Eddie, and we're going to work through from everything from more or less the, the minute to four minutes, to 500, to 1K, to 2K, to 5K, to 10K, and back up to the marathon again, where I'm, I'm, I'm still got the ambitions to perhaps try and crack the world record for the marathon. I'm not that far behind it, but I haven't managed it yet. So the uh, old fool that I am, I'm still thinking I can perhaps go just that little bit better. So that will be before the end of this current season, which is before the end of next, next May. 
And then from there, it'll be head down ready for the 2K uh, the following for the following December. I'll be in the 65 to 69s, but I won't hit the 70s until six years later. If I'm in a good enough position, if I'm enjoying good enough health, at the moment, I don't see why I shouldn't perhaps look at what I could do to the record books in the 70s, 79s. But you know, realistically, th th there's, there's a lot of stars have got to align between now and then. And um, I'd be entirely grateful if I was in a position just to have a go. Um, but th that's if I'm still interested. I mean, I'm, I might have taken up to Isle Flonking or Tiddlywinks by then, but <laughs> I, I somehow doubt that. <laughs> the, um, the motion of rowing is as i mentioned and we've all talked about is enough to keep me in the sport i think plus the fact that my wife does it as well so um it's something that we do together i mean i i can't speak uh you know strongly or, or i can't speak gratefully enough about the, the 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 positive influence my wife's rowing success has had on me because as i as i touched on earlier she was the one with all the early success and it inspired me to try a bit harder look in different areas as to where perhaps I could I could uh, emerge from her shadows, which I, I haven't because she's won Brick so many times I've lost count. She's set so many world records. She's, set, she's won the world championships four times. Um, so, you know, no way do I compare. I'm not even the best rower in, in our house. Um, although I did beat the cat once. There you go. So uh, <laughs> I, I would, there was a feather in the cat. So uh, there's enough to keep me interested. Plus, the, the other thing is the community. There is a fantastic indoor rowing community, which is where I see names like Lewin Hines, uh, Sam Blythe, John Stevenson um, cropping up and people come in as new rowers and before long you see them doing, uh, doing wonderful things because they've stuck to the basics and improved. I mean, there's some guys lost seven seven stone and he's starting to challenge for records now and uh, it's wonderful to see and I, I just enjoy a bit of a chat with other rowers i mean when i played rugby i enjoyed a beer and a chat with all the other players these days i enjoy a chat with other rowers on the facebook groups and that there are several facebook groups and of course there's the one that i helped to run which is as i mentioned earlier is the diamonds which is for over 60s rowers and of course people uh, become 59 and older on a regular basis so people join quite regularly as they uh, click over into the age group so we have a good old age related chat on there but of course there's still uh c2 community is probably one that i use quite regularly there's the uh, the hub by fitness matters is a good one and of course there's c2 logbook so whether the future is in some of those combining i'm not so sure because uh, we don't uh, you can get lost with too many groups but they're the kind of things that help me with motivation. And uh, I, I see others saying that it does as well. Oh, and there's also also the, po the positive influence of my club. I mean, I'm a member of an indoor rowing club called MAD, uh, which is uh, Mutually Assured Destruction. Now, there are some great people in MAD. I've already mentioned um, Phil, uh, who who's the president, but John Davis is a very well-known rower who does a great job of uh, keeping us all in line in MAD. Good friends with, with Graham Benton, who's a well-known rower. Um, Steve Bainbridge, the ex-British Lions second row I've mentioned. Eddie Fletcher himself is a member of MAD. So uh, that, that, that's always a big uh, big motivator for me. And, and noticeably, I believe, um, is Tim Mayo. Uh, yeah, well, Tim's a phenomenon. Tim, if Tim 
I mean, I'm as I said to Tim, <laughs> if Tim keeps going till he's sixty and any of my records are still there, which I doubt, by the way, um, Tim uh, will absolutely demolish anything that I leave behind me. Tim is uh, an amazing. Tim is one of the greatest lightweight rowers the world has ever seen. And will continue to be so because he's a, an enthusiastic guy that I'm sure will carry on. Top fella, Tim. Uh, he's a great to chat to. Yeah, but he's, he's not much fun to race against. Um, well, I, I don't have to because I'm a silly old man and he's a oh, thrusting no, no. youngster. It's, it's guys like you that suffer, Lewin. Uh, you have my sympathy, <laughs> mate. It, it's like, first of all, it's, it's really no fun, okay, knowing that, you know, you're going to go up on the on the CTC, you're going to put your time up and on the last two days of the month, Tim's going to stick up something that's better than yours and you outweigh him by a good 20, 25 kilos. The next thing is when you line up on the start line of a boat and you're sitting opposite him in the boat. You're both in the sixth seat and normally I'm of the mentality that I can look over and say, yeah, yeah I, I, I reckon I can have him. I reckon I can. Except, you know, I look over and it's, oh, bloody hell, it's him. And I know I can't. And not only that, he, I outweigh him by about, you know, three stone or something. So it's, it's like, you know, I, I don't really know the guy, but he... he but he haunts your dreams. He, he lives oh, rent free in my head. He really does. He's a talented rower. He's a nice chat. So uh, no, I'm, I'm sure good, he's an absolutely good, lovely bloke. But it's just good like, luck to him. And the same is also true of Keith Darby, who I'm sure you'll have heard of Keith Darby. Yes, I have. I have. Now he's a similar. He both he and um, Tim are in their forties. Both anything, and as I do stress, I doubt that anything that I do is still going to be around in twenty years' time. Or is it 20, call it 15 years if they, uh, just say 15 years for argument's sake say if anything I do is around 50 I'm absolutely certain it won't but if it were Keith Darby and Tim Mayle will have great fun absolutely demolishing every record in the book they are that good um, to, to compare me as a 60s rower and them as a 40s they, they thrash me hands down they really are outstanding indoor rowing talents and um uh, Keith again is is such a nice guy. He, he gives such great uh, advice and takes the time and trouble to comment to new rowers all the time. So the the community is in good hands with people like that coming along. Uh, I, I touched earlier on I, I name dropped Daly Thompson and Steve Ovet as people that uh, I grew up knowing through athletics. So I'm actually quite used to the idea of looking across and knowing that the other guy is going to beat you. So don't feel too bad about it, Louis. <laughs> R rowing numbers on the water have dropped off a cliff since 2016. They really have. I mean, precipitously in case of, of female rowers, but also in case of, of male rowers. Lou and I have talked on the pod about my first experience of, uh, of going to Agecroft was I was made to do a 2K at eight o'clock in the morning to see if I really wanted to be a rower. Lou had to, had to fight his way through um, the darkest fens to find his rowing club. Um, we like to think we're welcoming, inclusive and diverse yeah, but, but we do hear a lot of stories very similar of kind of, well, you know, off you go sort of thing. So if you'd had a more positive experience and you'd got that sense of I've got hold of the water and the boat, oh, that's a, that's a lovely feeling and I can use my fitness, that might have led to a different outcome. Yes, definitely. Um, 
it definitely it would. And I, I've heard, I've, 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 what you've just said to me has been put to me by experienced water rowers quite a few times, and um, that probably would have been the case. So, but uh, it's it's not something that I'm a, I'm a, I'm currently of a mind to to maybe go back to. Uh, I mean, I do have. You said that numbers have dropped off. I mean, numbers have dropped off in so many sports. I mean, just just in the UK, uh, because I used to be involved with youth development in rugby and athletics, and the numbers have dropped off very much there. So the the, the development of of youth development in sport is something that I've uh, got an interest in. And um, but certainly, if there were better protocols in place for rowing clubs for welcoming people once they've got them as far as their own front door and believe as i'm sure you're aware getting just getting people to your front door is is quite an effort it seems a shame to um turn them off the way they did me having gotten to got, got them there in the first place so yes a be better protocols along the lines of what you've described i think would be uh, would be far more beneficial across the board but all, all the time that uh that grumpy git is putting people off. They, that I did actually complain to the club, to be honest, and they did apologise. And they did say that they were a bit short of people that day, so they let him do it. I said, well, you'd have been better off cancelling it than letting him put people off. And they have actually taken that on board and he's not allowed new people anymore. Um, but we're going back a few years now. Uh, but yes, very, very much so. Um, it's, it's a shame that uh, my experience should be mirrored by other people. Yeah, it it does seem. I mean, as, as I said, you're the uh, you're the third, uh, no, fourth person we've interviewed for the indoor series now, and I think three of you could tell a very similar story to that um, of of arguably just not getting any sort of real traction with water rowers and water rowing institutions. Um, you know, John Stevenson, Frank and Ebury, they could both say the same things, that they sort of kind of tried reaching out a bit and just got nothing back, um, which, from my point of view, as someone who kind of straddles both worlds, I just, you know, no, come on, let's just let's bring people in. This is, you know, I, I mean, as you say, you, you feel they're, they're different sports. I feel... I, I feel they're very, very complementary and, and things oh, yeah. that, you know, I'm, I'm always shocked when I, you know, back when I was ra racing the English indoors every year, um, that you didn't just see every, you know, it, it, it was at the Manchester Velodrome. You didn't see every club in the Northwest with like their entire contingent. No, I, I used to do that competition regularly and it was uh, amazing how few clubs were represented there in terms of on water. I thought it would be a, a big meeting of the online clubs and the water clubs. There was nothing at the sort. Yeah. yeah. We did it a few times, but I think we were one of the only Northwest clubs that actually did. So it was a bit disappointing. It's, it's a little bit like the old adage about America and Britain being two nations divided by a common language. Uh, the, you know, the, the water rower spends so long on the rowing machine, uh, you know, past a certain point, as even as a club level rower, you will spend huge amounts of time on a rowing machine. And indoor rowers spend, you know, they dedicate their lives to, to, to um, getting really good on this piece of equipment. 
the 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 parallels for crossover are just immense, and it's really yeah. disappointing that they're not taking that they're not taking advantage of. No, well, I I I would um, I don't really see too much in the online community by way of invitations from rowing clubs, and I've, I've had some thoughts on how it could develop. Um, both indoors and where the crossover would be from outdoors. Rod, this has been an absolutely brilliant chat. Me and Aaron were just saying that. Fantastic. Um, what I would like to say is, from your point of view, what are the things that you that you dream about that make the whole business of indoor rowing, whether it's your sport or the machine or training, what would make indoor rowing better for you? Well, I'm in a fortunate position that I've um, had good guidance and have got to know what's what, who's who, what's where. What um, One thing that would make it better for me and I think would make it better for the sport would be something of a return to the days where we had regional competitions. Now, if, if we go back to, and you'd probably remember these, these loons, do you remember things like the, oh, the, I can't remember, there, there was the Bristol, there was a competition over at Bristol, there was the, one uh, Basingstoke. Mar, there was the Basingstoke one that Dougie used to, Dougie um, Lawson used to run, the Grimsby Mile, the, um, Evesham Mile as well, Evesham Mile, various miles, I mean, regardless of what the distances were. Uh, I'd like to see a return to regional competitions that you go to. And those regional competitions could feed up into a national competition. Uh, I'm not saying replace brick as brick as it is, I think is wonderful. It's always been a great tradition in the sport and long may it continue. And I, I, I like the format um, that it has. Oh. I'm not so sure about the online being added to it, but that's a so. so but let me uh, let me build. This is a bit of a pyramid here that I'm, I'm perhaps trying to explain. If British rowing now that now that um, British rowing is, if you like, in charge of indoor rowing, and, and with with a lot of help from C2, uh, but essentially we have British rowing C2. I mean, I get the I get the weekly email from British rowing that's got its indoor section and so on and so forth. Now. If British rowing, and perhaps in conjunction with lottery funding, I'm not, and there's some of my rugby background is coming out here because I was in, involved with getting lottery funding for development officers. If British rowing were to have some sort of system of development officers, I'm not talking about full-time development officers, but if on a regional basis you had a network, a pyramid of development officers that were responsible for getting gyms to run competitions. So you could have, let's say, let's take North and let's take England, uh, just England, because different geographical requirements in different countries. And in England, if you take England as North and South, Lewin and Aaron, <laughs> I'm in the South, so we can talk more about, I can talk more accurately about South. The South would have counties like Essex, Kent, Sussex, Wiltshire, Hampshire, Dorset, Surrey, da da da, would all have a development officer that all fed up to the southern regional. Or you could have the southeast and the southwest. Um, so you've got one head, then you've got people underneath them. 
people that are responsible for those counties, I, for example, I live in the county of Sussex, which is administratively divided into east and west. So say I live in East Sussex. Say it was me. I'm not putting my hand up for the job, by the way, but um, if someone in East Sussex were to do it, the development officer would be responsible for contacting gyms, primarily, places where people are using C2s, but, you know, where they've got maybe half a dozen C2s and people go along and do whatever they do with them to organise competitions within those gyms. Try and get someone in that gym that's a little bit more switched on towards a C2 and can actually teach people how to use them properly. So one development officer suddenly has talked to half a dozen gyms. Shouldn't be difficult. Shouldn't be difficult to get those half a dozen gyms to just run some basic competitions. You've then got a database of people that have entered the competitions and people that are at the gym that have actually got some sort of knowledge. They, their details could be fed into an email pyramid, an email broadcast list, much as British Rowing send out an email to me. They could also be introduced to the Facebook communities like C2 Logbook, the Hub, C2 Community. They could also be pointed towards the, the various clubs that we have online. Like we're all, all in different clubs and all clubs do a great job. Um, the development officers would only be part-time. They could, If they've got to go somewhere, they could have their expenses covered and there could be some financial incentive based on key performances, like they get paid so much if they've organised so many competitions. So it's a small part-time job for someone that knows they're rowing. So it's not something that would cost them money, but the, the, their motivation would be to broad, broaden the love of, the, of rowing to, to develop the sport of rowing. It's not just a financial incentive. It's not a full-time job. So otherwise, because that would cost an absolute ridiculous fortune. And I'm not saying throw money at it. What I'm saying is that for a small investment, I think the return that we could get from people that are enthusiastic about the sport could actually develop it quite well at ground level. So say, for example, I'm in East Sussex. We could have the East Sussex 10K Championships. We get 30 people in East Sussex take part in the various age categories, some of which would be young, tall, strong guys, like you, Lewin, and you, Aaron. <laughs> Not that you're in East Sussex, but... Next door, in Kent. The East, then you've got the East Sussex Championships. You've got the West Sussex Championships. You've got the Kent Championships. Next thing you know, you've been selected to compete for East Sussex against Kent. And people will emerge. There are people in Sussex that would do great things in a boat if they, if they were to be taken along that development path. There's a guy down, I can't remember his name, but he appears every now and again on Facebook. He's about six foot eight, muscles in his spit, um, does phenomenal rowing times. I think he's, um, I think he's joined one of the clubs, not the one. Yeah, I think he's joined Fitness Matters. Hughes. Oh, I, I, can't, I can't remember his name, but uh, uh, anyway, these people exist. There are big, strong, young men and women that could be introduced to the sport purely and simply because there was a bit more to that rowing machine that they saw in the corner of the gym that they didn't realise. And it's only because someone spoke to them. My, my background, when I used to work for a living, I was a sales rep. So the difference between actually physically talking to people as opposed to just chucking out leaflets or, or brochure, uh, leaflets or posters or, or what it just need that, would you like to do it? Makes such a difference. 
and people tell each other. So a network of development officers bringing in a, a series of regional competitions that then feed up into national competitions. There, you know, there could be online ones, there could be physical ones that you go to, because I do appreciate that even though I'm a bit of a Luddite when it comes to IT technology and what have you, um, brighter young people than me are able to uh, develop the sport because of the the on online apps, online racing, and so on and so forth. Um, that to me would be the way forward, and I would be I'd be fairly keen to do the East Sussex 10K Championships. I'd like to do the British Marathon Championships. All these things could run along to, alongside the standard brick because brick only allows for people to go to a a venue and do a 2k all right you can there is the i believe now the online brick and there is the possibility of online people doing brick as well but i've got separate views on that but if there were a greater range of events a greater range of actual attending you know races where you go and if there was a regional and national structure uh, underpinned by a regional pyramid of development officers I think we'd be looking at a far more vibrant sport, both on the sea, to, on the erg and on the water, because those people could then go to what you were describing, Aaron, which is the more uh, more formalised, uh, more profitable, welcoming protocols that on-water clubs could do. I don't ever see any inquiries from Ardingly Rowing Club in my area, and I know of a lot of people in my area that row um, on the ergs. I mean, there's there are people on the coast. I mean, there are people that one of the reasons I'm in, in MAD is because I know people in MAD uh, and they live not far from me and they row, uh, they do coastal rowing. But you see, there's still coastal rowers, river rowers um, that could be brought in to that pyramid. At the moment, it's a question of where do you, you know, what Facebook group do you end up in? Who do you end up talking to? And, and so on. It still doesn't seem as formalized as it could be. And a lot of what I've just said is based on my rugby experience when I was the youth development, or I was the chairman of the youth section uh, at the rugby club and was in, involved with youth development, albeit on a very, very amateur basis uh, in my town, which was Crawley, which is a town of 130 odd thousand people. If we could look at that on a regional and national basis for our sport, then I think that the future is, is you know, the potential for the future is quite something. I, um, I've, I, while you're saying that, I've literally just because we do have regional regional rowing councils for British rowing, right? And um, slightly broader than you were talking about. So we've got East Midlands, Eastern, Northern, Northwest, Thames, Thames, which has got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different representatives. Um, Wessex, West, West Midlands, Wilts, and Yorkshire. So that structure does exist. So it's partly there already. Yeah. I mean, literally, Helen Middleton, where is it? Anne Hock. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Gabriel Moore, if you're listening, that, that's just three of them. Sure. There you go. There's an idea from Rod Chin, man of many records. <laughs> well, if they want to take on board regional competitions and uh, feeding everything up, then 
they were fine. But that's that. It's something I've I've thought. It, it strikes me that it, if I'm I'm saying I think things are not there because I haven't seen them, and uh, that that's purely the uh, purely the notion on where I think the sport might go. Um, but there's so much to enjoy in the sport, and there's so much for me to enjoy myself in that um, it, I, I had to scratch my head a little bit when I first thought, well, where, where would it improve? But any conversations that I have in real life generally with people is where we do bemoan the lack of the regional competitions that uh, we used to enjoy so much. There's, uh, I mean, the, the chance to have a, uh, a post-race a post cuppa and a bit of cake and a natter with your, your friends or, or meeting people in the flesh that you've only ever spoken to on Facebook is, is, is a great fun thing to do. There we so there go. That's, that's so that, my yet another long-winded answer from me, uh, Lewin. So. No, it's, it, it, it's a brilliant one. And, you know, there you go. Regional rowing councils, if you are listening. We, we've actually got listeners these days, Rod. It's, it's great. Yeah, they, I, I think it's great. Well, those regional rowing councils could start directing people to the Facebook groups. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, we're, 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 we're 10 people in a gym. Do you talk, do you talk on C2 community? Have you got Facebook? Yes. Do you ever look on C2 Community? No. What's that? Here's a link. Next thing you know, they're chatting away to the likes of Lewin Hines, Aaron, Rod Chin, Carol Woodward, whoever, Keith Darby, Tim Mao. They're all good people around. And uh, there's help and, uh, help and advice available. I look, I look at the number of posts on some of those groups lately and they seem quite low. So uh, I'm yeah, sure okay. an in injection of new blood is needed. There you go. There we go. Rod. Um, it's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lou. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And you, Aaron? It's been wonderful. It's been an absolute pleasure. I, I, when you actually said we've been talking for nearly two hours, I had to check the time on my laptop because I was like, no, we've just been, we've just started chatting. It's gone really quickly. And it's been um, informative, insightful. Uh, just, just been great. Thanks so much for coming on. Oh, absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you for the invitation. It was, a, it was an honour to get it. And um, it's been a delight to talk. Honestly, I mean, I'm not, 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 you know, I'm not, not making that up. I mean, for an old git like me to, to, for anybody to ask or take an interest in anything that I've done is, is, is very kind and much appreciated. So, so thank you very much. I mean, you're, you're well-known names in the community, and oh uh, God, are we? Are we really? Oh God, <laughs> yeah, the fact that you should, the fact that you should take an interest in what this old twit's doing is, is, is quite. Uh, Quite touching, so thank you very much.